This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Today, we're going to have Jeff Blum, the World Series hero, and of course, a broadcaster for the Houston Astros. This is post-World Series, so we're getting the skinny right after the Astros won it all. Robert Murray, who who breaks as much news in baseball as anybody, an MLB insider for Fansided, and Kylie McDaniel will get our kind of off-season report with him as he's done a great piece, ESPN.com, about all of free agency. But Jeff Blum, come on, the Cal Bear went to the World Series with the Cal Bears, the College World Series, and then of course was a World Series hero with the Chicago White Sox, now a broadcaster for the Houston Astros. Here's one of our favorites, Blummer Jeff Blum. Well, let's bring in the World Series hero. Let's bring in the Cal Bear. And he is essentially a man that just collects World Series rings now. <laughs> I mean, no matter where he goes. I mean, how, how, this is unbelievable. What do you got, three now? Yeah, one on my own and two uh, just by, you know, guilty by association, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, three, three total. And uh, don't forget... So what's that? Two more uh, American League championship rings mixed in there, and don't. And also, I've got two Double A championships. Man, those are still on the mantle, and I've got my Cal College World Series ring. I mean, it's just I mean the jewelry. <laughs> hey, and by the way, those minor league championships they mean something because those guys they mean it to the player. I mean, my guy, because you know everybody's striving for one thing to get to the big leagues, and so many of those guys won't get to the big leagues. Those minor league championships, they stand out because they got unbelievable memories. Oh, they, they carry all kinds of stuff with it. And you talked about how, you know, there's a lot of individual talent when you're playing in the minor leagues like that, and you're all trying to jump each other and get to the big leagues as fast as you possibly can. But when you do win championships like that, you start to look back or you, you, you have a chance and you pull up the roster. And I mean, there's some big names on some of those rosters that you uh, were actually able to win championships on, but you know, as well as I do, if you're doing anything and you win and you, and, and you're the best team that given year and you get recognized by, by holding on, even in the smallest Jostens ring there is, it still means something to you. You accomplish something. So how was the parade today? I know you're a part of the coverage. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It was it was crazy because in 2017 we we had the opportunity to walk the route kind of ahead of all the players, and that was exciting in itself. Just because the fan base here is so fervent and so so uh, endearing to us that you know they gave us a pretty healthy uh, a cheer. But you know, obviously everything was safe for the players. But this year I had a, a, a unique opportunity to sit on the desk and anchor with a couple of other uh, people 
the the World Series cover or the the World Series parade coverage uh, this afternoon downtown, and I had an absolute blast. I didn't get to ride the float, but I got to see the entire parade coming down the road with Texas Southern University's band, the University of Houston. I mean, they did a great job of recognizing all of the local communities before in schools before they actually got to the players and brought not one, but two trophies down the, down the street. So it was very exciting, very emotional, and uh, a well-represented parade by a lot of Houston Astro fans. It was, it was a lot of fun. You're like, you're like the guy back in the studio for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. <laughs> I felt like that. I, I definitely felt like that. I'm starting to point and look. I'm like, hey, there's so and so, and they're waving the crowd. Over there, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, I could, yeah, I couldn't help it. You know, once a fan, you know, fans start yelling, you turn around, you got to acknowledge them. But it was, it, it was a very, very well planned and controlled chaos for a, for a pretty joyous city. You know, you, you think about this team. You know, it's six straight years in the ALCS. Now two titles. A lot of different guys than from 2017. But now that you've been around it for years, what is the greatness? How great uh, How great is this run? It will, you know, I appreciate you saying that because I know that outside of, of the Houston Astros organization and, you know, outside this southeastern pocket of Texas, it's kind of hard for people to respect, try to respect and understand what's going on. But if the best way to do it is do it exactly what you just said is since moving to the American League in 2013, which is 10 years ago, they have gone to six American League championship series. And to put that in baseball terms, if you're getting on base at 60% of the time, that's a pretty damn good clip. And then two of two of four World Series. And if you go two for four every day, you're going to be beyond the Hall of Fame. You're going to be on, you know, the, the Mars Hall of Fame in baseball. So what they've been able to do is pretty impressive. And I just hope that, you know, someday that some of the prognosticators and some of the people outside of Houston, you know, nationally can understand how great this team actually was with their pitching staff, uh, pitching as well as they did, their bullpen putting up historic numbers, you know, throwing the second no-hitter in World Series history and seeing a rookie in Jeremy Pena at shortstop win an ALCS MVP, win a World Series MVP, and add a gold glove to that uh, to that mantle in one year is is truly remarkable stuff. But I think, you know, maybe long after we're we're dead and gone, they'll look back at this team and go, "Man, this this was a very good time to be an Astro fan." Oh yeah, I hate it. I mean, I admit it. I hate, but I, I get I, it too. I totally I, I, get it. Totally right. It's like the Patriots, right? I mean, the Patriots. Yeah. There's a stain on the Patriots, but they're still the Patriots. You have to respect it and what the Astros have done. And really with this team, I mean, 2017 was was quite a while ago. I mean, and we're in 2022, for God's sakes. And the majority of these guys weren't on that team, weren't, weren't a part of it. I mean, there are some who are, yeah, but yeah. Uh, you, you got to really give the front office is different. There's a lot. Dusty's different. Uh, but you got to give a lot of credit. I mean, think about it. We used to talk about the greatness of Carlos Correa. The guy's got huge stones. He was a tough player. And you let him walk for this guy, Jeremy Pena. How's this going to work? And actually, you know, all the MVPs and everything. The one thing that impresses most is the shrewd business decisions. And I've been saying all show, remember, the Astros aren't cheap. They spend a lot of money, but they do it wisely. No. You, you you nailed it with that. You know, Jim Crane takes a lot of criticism uh, across the board. He you know, obviously you get to a point in your in your life and in your career to you know when you get to that status where you're 
where you're able to own a baseball team. And of course, the scrutiny is going to be a little bit greater. But at the same time, you're right. It, there is a certain shrewdness to it where he, he played baseball in college, had shoulder problems, wasn't able to make it as a player. Who knows if he would have. But the fact is, he still loves the game, still understands it. He's in on meetings and obviously has the, the, the very last word on contracts and who they're going to bring in and who they're going to keep or who he's going to pay. And he, he broke down the numbers with James Click, talked to Dusty Baker, talked to guys in that clubhouse and said, you know what? We got a guy that we're going to take a chance on. And it's a unique time, too. You got to think about your the willingness to not I mean, you're not giving up on Carlos Correa, but you're, you're making a, a logical decision to say we're going to save thirty four million dollars go with this rookie because he's protected. He still has Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez, T Kyle Tucker, Martin Maldonado. There is an insulation there that protected Jeremy Pena throughout the course of the season to allow him to go out there and figure out who he was. There was no pressure on him to do the things that he just accomplished. So he, they let him blossom into who he was. He had a phenomenal year, but it, yeah, there, there's a certain shrewdness and thoughtfulness to what's going on because if the, if push did come to shove and they needed to go get a guy, James Click had had the you know the purse strings taken off to go get somebody, but fortunately he didn't have to. The reaction after the final out with everybody just hugging and all over Dusty Baker, I think absolutely said it all. Um, now that you've had a couple days to think about it, Dusty what he was meant to do when he came in here. Somebody had to be at the front of it, was going to have to take some of the bullets, even though he had nothing to do with it, and how he's ushered this franchise through these times and to finally get his World Series title as a manager. What has this been like? Uh, well, that's another thing. I really hope that if you do have that disdain for Houston, don't put it on Dusty Baker because you like we're very similar in the sense that we're big fans of the game. We're big fans of history. We're big fans of of players and managers and, and guys who have accomplished things and, and earned the right to win a World Series championship. It's amazing. It's taken this long for Dusty to earn the right to raise that trophy. But I think that you know, it's kind of serendipitous that he's doing it here in Houston amongst all those things that you're talking about because Dusty was brought in here after A.J. Hinch and the Jeff Luno era and all of the controversy around how was the culture in Houston and you put one of the most beloved ball players, most beloved managers and just beloved people in baseball at the front of this. And it allowed him to go out there and kind of deflect a lot of the negativity and protect all those guys that were behind him. And you kind of saw that develop into a trust and a love for Dusty with these guys when you started to hear some of the interviews they were giving these days. We want to win this thing for Dusty. And I think that those players started to realize how good Dusty was. They understood that he was doing a good job of deflecting some of the negativity and the hate that was coming their way because he is so graceful at how he handles himself. And then you, you say he's got 2,000 plus wins and he doesn't have a World Series championship. Let's go get him one. And now he's able to hoist the trophy. And I'm sure that when he gets done doing all the media rounds and getting all the, the love and glory that he deserves, he gets a chance to sit down and start writing that Hall of Fame speech. And that is probably one of the more anticipated speeches for me, just being around Dusty for the last three years and understanding what he means to the game and what he's done for the city of Houston is going to be a lot of fun to hear about because he's got some stories to tell. When you think about Verlander, he can opt out. The money to me doesn't matter. I mean, he's already got so much money. His wife's got more money than him. Money's not a problem here. The thing for him is 
He wants to get to, he wants to be that last guy to get to 300 wins. Yeah. And the only way you're going to do it is you've got to be on like, I, I, I've, it's like Houston, LA, New York. Like, other than that, I don't know who you can really say, okay, who's going to, who's winning 95 games a year and can help me win close to 20 games every year to get me that. I, so I, unless he's get really to me, it's Houston and LA. Right. I mean, if he opts mm-hmm. out, you, you basically and I don't know if Kershaw's going to want to go to Texas or whatever is going to happen. But I mean, to me, you opt out, pay him whatever. But wouldn't you say it's all about wins? And, and if I'm if I'm Verlander and all I'm thinking about is getting to 300 wins, why would I leave the Astros? That's a great point. And you know what? I honestly, if you would have asked me this before at the end of the season, before the playoffs, I would have said he's going to opt out. He's going to go get paid. He's earned it. He's going to get his third Cy Young in 2022. And he's looking at Scherzer's contract and he's saying, I could get that kind of money, maybe. And the more I thought about it, and like you said, after he gets that first World Series win and the idea, you're exactly right. Because if you break it down, it getting to 300 wins isn't about the money. It's about being in a position to accrue that many wins. And how do you go about doing that? You want to be able to be on a, on a team that can score runs, play defense and protect your leads and give you the W's. And this is a place where he's actually found out that he can do that. And there's also some other hints in some of the other interviews that he's done where he's, he likes to win. He wants to be on a championship team. And I think if you are later in your career, yet still have the ability to garner a contract and be attractive to teams that want to go out there and win, why wouldn't you put yourself in a position like this to go out there and get paid healthy enough like you're talking about because it's a decent contract at, what, $25 million? (laughs) And and stay with the team that you know is going to win. And, oh, by the way, this place loves them some Justin Verlander. You're going to go into another situation, possibly with a bigger contract and more expectation, or are you going to stay in a place where you've got a healthy contract and a healthy respect from the fans? I don't know. That's a that's a tough call. But if you know, two a month ago, I would have said he's gone. Now I'm going, man. He might stick around for a little while. Somebody said to me, they're like, oh, I can see him going back to Detroit. Okay, Ooh. that's fine. You can go back to Detroit, but <laughs> if you want to get the 300 wins. You got a better chance of seeing Jesus than you do 300 wins if you're going back to Detroit. So you you want to get to this 300 win mark? I got one of two places. It's called Houston or LA. I I, I think he'd be if he wants to get to 300 wins, which I think in the end is the goal. Houston will pay him handsomely. He should stay, no question. Uh, when you think about question marks for Houston in the off season, what are some questions you see for this ball club in the off season? Well, you've got uh, Yuli Gurriel's contracts up. Um, he didn't have the offensive regular season that I think a lot of us had hoped he would. Granted, he won a silver slugger, you know, in 2021, fell back a little bit. But in the postseason, he showed up. All of a sudden, he was back to old Yuli Gurriel, getting a couple of knocks, driving in runs, and playing a phenomenal defense. I think that he's a question mark. But these there aren't many question marks, and I know this is going to frustrate a lot of o- Oakland A fans, is there aren't many question marks. You've got a Lance McCullers Jr. locked up. You've got Fromber, Urquidy, Javier, Luis Garcia, Brian Abreu. All these guys are under control. Uh, I think the biggest question might be how big is the contract they're going to offer Kyle Tucker? Is Kyle Tucker going to take the contract to keep him around? They locked up Jordan Alvarez early in the season. Um, Alex Bregman, Altuve are still around. Martin Maldonado, I think, would play here for the major league minimum because he loves it so much. 
Um, you know, Vasquez and Mancini may go out and test the free agent market, which is totally understandable, who were acquired at the trade deadline. You know, Michael Brantley's a big question for me. Would they be willing to bring Michael Brantley back if he's healthy? Because Michael Brantley is such a huge asset in this organization that even though he wasn't playing, he provided so much stability in that clubhouse and, uh, and information to help these guys get through the World Series that I think he still retains a ton of value. And center field, even though Chaz McCormick may have made the catch, of, you know, yeah. the catch of the year in center yeah. field, if you're looking at a place to upgrade, you could upgrade out there. Ryan Presley's under contract for two more years. You know, they're in an unbelievable position to where as great as 2022 was, there's still a real chance that they're going to maybe be the favorite, you know, in competition with the Seattle Mariners to win the West again next year. It's unbelievable. Come on, give me one negative. Give me just something. I I, give, me, give me something to hang my hat on. Well, I mean, okay, so we just go. Give me just a little doom and gloom. Just a little. <laughs> well, how about this? I mean, this this kind of feeds into maybe maybe outsiders look at the Houston Astros because you know is Dusty Baker coming back? His contract was up. James Click, the GM, is yeah, he coming back? These are two guys that replace him. And I think that might be the most the most anticipated or controversial, I don't know if it's controversial, but the most amp- anticipated idea is, are those two guys going to come back? Because Click came in in a situation in replacement of Jeff Luno, really didn't have to do too much. You know, he went out and traded for Mancini and Christian Vasquez, signed a couple of free agents, brought over Maton, guys like that, where he made some moves, but he didn't have that big splash. You know, Rafael Montero came over in that Kendall Graben trade last year, really proved to be uh, worth it in the bullpen, but there really wasn't that huge splashy pickup for, for James Click as a GM. So that's something that Jim, Jim Crane's going to have to talk about. And then I don't know if he's going to sit back and just put a blank piece of paper in front of Dusty and say, you just give me the numbers and we'll sign it and move on. I don't know how, the, I don't know how this is going to work, but those are the two contracts that are up that might be the most interesting to keep an eye on. Was the Click thing weird when you're like, wait, we're in the World Series, the GM, like we go to the playoffs every year. What's the problem? Yeah, it, it's it's weird, and I he, I like James a lot. I've I've been able to sit down, have conversations with him. Um, I'm all I'm much like you, where I'm just I'm intrigued by how some of these guys' minds work with numbers, but also how they apply it to baseball. So it was kind of fun to you know pick his brain about how you take the numbers and 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 take Aaron Nola for instance. How do you pick apart Aaron Nola start? and try and create a game plan to go and beat him in the World Series. So we've had conversations like that, which I think he's great at. But, you know, that being said, with him not making a big splash, where was the opportunity? You know, this team won the World Series by maintaining. Maybe you give him a little bit of credit for pulling back on a little bit and saying, hey, we've got enough to go out there. Maybe that's how it happens. But it is kind of interesting, and I would imagine sitting there answering questions about a World Series team that you've been a part of for the last three years and really didn't, draft develop or or bring in too many guys to 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 say that you left your your handprint on this team would probably be an interesting conversation what's the biggest story for you in the offseason outside of the astros that you're looking forward to see play out i i think then even though the astros won the world series i think the national league is ahead of the american league so i'm kind of curious to see where that really? balance comes back yeah, I, I think the Braves are dominant. I, I, I they underplayed. I don't know if the time off gave them, you know, gave them a little bit of uh, inconsistency. Uh, the, the National League East with the Mets, you know, Steve Cohen's going to go bonkers. I don't know what he's going to do next to try and bring more guys into that organization. How about Aaron Judge? <laughs> well, that's 
Well, that gets me to the point. I was I was going to bring up the Yankees. The way that Aaron Judge's tenure so far ended in New York, and then you know I'm still in tune with you know my left coast people out there in Northern California and along the West Coast. Him, knowing he's a Fresno State Bulldog and going into an environment where he would be beloved instead of booed after hitting 62 home runs, the, the Giants, I mean, if he ended up in San Francisco and we'd be talking about four or five months, I would not be shocked at all. I know. I know. I, I just, the thing for me and, and, you know, understanding history, I just, I don't know how I would. Like, think about, I'm going to have a chance to have a monument next to Babe Ruth, yeah. next to Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Reggie You're all Jackson, over this legacy Eric stuff. Man. I mean, seriously, like, you know, when you're long gone, your your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, they'll go and your monuments, like, like that's far different than being on the wall of fame with, with Rich Aurelia and the Giants. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, poor Rich, man. Come on. <laughs> Marvin Bernard. And I mean, come on. Oh, Marvin Bernard. Yeah. I remember you those know days. What I'm saying. You were out here. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. like, come on. it's a big difference. What happened to Will Clark and some of these guys? I mean, that's not too shabby. It's not Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> true. Very true. And a little, and that ballpark in New York is obviously a little more conducive to the mega power that uh, Aaron Judge provides, but he's going to make him open up that uh, that bank vault and get deep in it. By the way, uh, your left shoulder do do, is the Cal jersey still up? Oh yeah, yeah. Get that Astro stuff out of here. Let's see the Cal stuff. Sorry. There we go. There All we right. go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, the old blue and gold. You know what? Make 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 my fan base love you again. I know I got to come back in good graces. Yeah, I'd put that thing on, but I would need like a pair of scissors and gauze to get that thing off, man, or Vaseline or something. <laughs> Dude, that that thing is about maybe about fifty pounds ago when I was I was just a scrawny little eighteen year old punk freshman at Cal and running around trying to beat up on Miami and Florida State in the College World Series. You were a shortstop, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, Bob Milano brought me in. Uh, you know, I was just a lanky six foot three, maybe a buck 70 soaking wet after lunch. Wow. And, uh, he, he put me at shortstop and, and, you know, I learned, I learned a t- ton from Alan Regeer, coach lawn, John Hughes, Bob Milano, Oscar Miller. You know, there, there were guys there that I absolutely had to lean on to become a ball player and a man. And, uh, Cal is where I learned everything I know right now. Think about those days. You're six, three, you're a buck 75. You're eating as much as you can, and you can't Crushing. <laughs> Crushing. Yeah, I mean, seven is going. Do I have to up your scholarship just to look like you? I'm feeding you. Man, you know what? <laughs> the, some of the best times was going into Arizona State, which was a harsh you know, harsh environment yeah. at the time. And uh, I, Jason – who's it? Jason – Justin Stark. Jason Stark. Starkey was our catcher, and he was a little more thicker than I was. He had me by about, you know, three or four years. He was a junior senior at the time, and he's hitting behind me. And I remember coming to the plate, and fans in Arizona State are going, Hey, Blum, did Stark steal your meal money? You know, st- <laughs> yeah. I, I turned sideways, and the pitcher wondered if I was in the box. <laughs> What do you got? Hey, it's the off season now. I mean, what do you, <laughs> you got a big trip plan with the kids? What, what do you got uh, going? 
Dude, you know, my oldest daughter is at the University of Arkansas, so now I'm I'm all woo pig suey out and I'm uh I've gotten yeah, the Razorbacks. So I might I'm gonna try and catch a football game. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to, but uh I've been lucky enough to meet Eric Musselman, the head coach head basketball coach for the Razorbacks. And uh we've had great conversations. He's what he's invited me up to go watch basketball games anytime I want. So I'm gonna be a, a, a Razorback men's basketball fan for a little while. I'm going to go watch some Kelvin Sampson over at uh, University of Houston for some basketball. I'm going to try and get rid of my my power hook on the golf course. Oof. And, uh, there, you know, there's a good chance that we'll come out there and visit the West Coast. We still got family and friends out there. I was actually – I was just up in your neck of the woods up in Napa visiting family up in Napa Valley, man. I love that place. I can tell you it doesn't matter the lesson. It doesn't matter the video. My right <laughs> hand. My right hand. It's here to stay. It does not. It 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 wants to take over. And when I'm striping it, but that's how you know you're an athlete. I've been striping it lately. Like I've been putting some numbers up that start with a seven. But what? Every once in a while. Oh yeah, I've been telling Sparksy I'm going to be ready for him. But every once you take down Sparky, that's impressive. We got to get you out at the Olympic Club out there and see how that thing goes, man. Hey, I just want. I just buddies invite me out. Stepped up a little misty day, shot 79 at Harding Park from the tips. Dude, Harding Park is legit, too. Good for you, man. But I'm telling you, every once in a while, Dr. Hook comes back, and I can't <laughs> oh. I can't hear it. Dude, all of a sudden, I've got, like, I've, I've got stinkers on the inside or cutters and sliders coming down and in, and I just open up and rip it to the left. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, Eric Musselman, I've done a lot with him in the past when he was Warriors and the Kings. Old yeah, Eagles. he's been around. Great guy. Great guy. Yeah, he, he is one of the best. I mean, it's it's funny because you expect this, you expect this six foot four coach to come out and he, he's all of what, 5'10? Yeah. And he's just a little wiry guy and he, the energy for days, but he's he's been a great dude to hook up with. So I'm excited about uh, his basketball season. How was the uh, first one going to college, leaving the house? How'd that go over? Oh, dude, it, it's crazy. I mean, it, it, it's kind of good that because I have four daughters, for those of you that don't know, my oldest is 18, obviously a freshman in Arkansas, and I have three seniors. So I've got triplet daughters that are seniors right now out here in uh, in Houston. And so one, the, the one leaving was tough because it, there's this, you unplug a certain personality and dynamic, you you definitely recognize it. This time next year, I may be a train wreck. Because you're going to take the chaos of the Blum household and just leave me and my wife sitting here in this house. And we're just going to be like, what? Uh, you know, you, you talk about reintroducing yourself. Uh, it's it's going to be a pretty wild situation. But my girls are great. They're, they're doing extremely well out here and looking forward to moving on. But, yeah, it, it's hard. There's every once in a while when she doesn't answer my phone, I'm like, what the hell? You know, pick up the phone. It's your dad. <laughs> Can you imagine back at school, like, like you can't imagine, like, God, cell phones and and, and just you know, I mean, picture phones, camera and, phone. If somebody picked this up, I was at a at Henry's or you know, <laughs> geez, out there at Cal, I may not have made it this far. I mean, I'm the I'm the last. I'm like the because I'm a little older than you. I'm like the last generation that didn't have the internet in school. Oh man, yeah. My last year at Cal, I don't even might have been my last year at Cal. I remember sitting in the basements of uh, some of the libraries on Cal, and you know that damn DSL noise pops on, and I'm sitting yeah. there just praying that I get a connection so I can do some research. But man, yeah, that's that. You did the old school way, Townie. 
Yeah, my last year of baseball was 95. What I it was done in 96. I mean, we we still had pagers. <laughs> yes. Dude. Pagers. Yeah, my my wife and I when we first started dating, she she got me a pager and we had like she said she gave me a list of like codes, like three-digit codes <laughs> that meant stuff. I'm like yeah, I mean, I'm like, you're gorgeous, but I go, is this, are we going too far here? You know, yeah. but it worked out. <laughs> All right. Hey, congratulations. Another ring, uh, an unbelievable run. You know, Thank you're you. our favorite. We were, you know, we were rooting for Dusty and you. And other than that, nobody else. I I, I, well, I truly Sparky believe that. Too. Say that again? Sparky. Yeah, too. Sparky, yeah. Sparky too. But no, you guys have been wonderful to us. Um. Going through Oakland is always a good time. It's a trip down memory lane for me, but it also reestablishes great relationships like I've got with you, Tony. So I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. All right, buddy. Be well. Have a great offseason. We'll be calling. Yeah, please do. I'd love to chat with you again. It's always a good time, dude. Take care. Thank you. You too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm not happy for the Astros, but I'm happy for Jeff Blum, one of the great guys in our game. Robert Murray, if you follow him on Twitter, this guy breaks news like you wouldn't believe, and it's always great to have him on the program. He's from Fansided. Well, it's that time of the year, folks, where we're going to have list after list after list. Like today, who's going to be Rookie of the Year? We're going to list, and we have all these reasons why. Julio Rodriguez, or Rushman's going to win the Rookie of the Year. But right now, it's a lot about free agency. And Robert Murray from Fansided joins us once again. I'm looking at your list. By the way, do you like doing lists? I'm not usually a big list guy, but when it comes to free agency, we got we got to do it, baby. Top 25, yeah. got to give everything, give the people what we're hearing. Life is good, man. The worst, and I used to work with an NBA guy, and the worst was when they had to do their mock drafts. Like, he hated it. He's like, And he was always like, listen, mock drafts, you never put out in your first mock draft what you really think is going to happen. So when everybody says, oh, Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper's put out their first mock draft, they're lying. So that first, yeah. that first one is never going to be what you really think. It's the last one that you put out, like your, your sixth mock draft, that you think is going to be real. So I know these aren't easy, but – for us, we live off this stuff because this is what's important right now, right? We just had the GM meetings in Las Vegas. We're going to have the winter meetings in San Diego. It's what gets us excited in the offseason. And, you know, it's not, not – Robert, it's not too many times in our lifetime you're going to have a guy hit free agency who just hit 62 home runs. No, that is mind-blowing to me. Like, And you look at the market for Judge – and it's going to have all those big spending teams in it. It's going to have the Yankees. It's going to have the Dodgers. And I mean, those two right there are just powerhouses. You got the Giants. Then you got the threat of like another team hopping into this race that could throw this thing even more um, offhand than it already is. But Judge is going to get a lot of money. I'm telling you, I'm convinced that the number is going to start with a three when it's all said and done. Um, 
I still think he goes back to the Yankees, but the threat of another team stealing him away from the Yankees is very real. Um, can't rule anything out there, but um, I, I think the Yankees right now are the current favorite. All right. You're very good at breaking news in our sport. Try to be at least. Okay. This comes down from your source that judge assigned with this team. You're about to put it out on Twitter. What team would it be that it would blow your mind that he's signing with that team and that you have to hit tweet and you can't believe it? Boy, I'm not going to go with the three teams that we just listed because, I mean, those would kind of like – those wouldn't be like, wow. But if there was ever a team that could just throw this completely upside down, it's the Texas Rangers. And I'll give you why. Wow, now that. <laughs> See, there you go. I, I, my answer ended up achieving what yes. we were trying to achieve. You know who I was thinking, which would be like the ultimate, it'd be like one of the best troll moves of all time. What about That's, the Red Sox? Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? I'll tell you, if I found that out, I would I'd probably, I mean, I can't say what I was about to say. <laughs> I, would, I would be legitimately stunned if the Red Sox ended up doing that. That would be one where... Um, I find out I get the shakes immediately and like that would be the the best troll move of all time. Um, but with the Reds or with the, uh, the Rangers, they spent big last off season on Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. Obviously they're going to heavily target pitching this year. And it would not surprise me at all if they ended up ending up with a, a top of the rotation kind of starter, like a DeGrom or a Carlos Rodon or anything like that. But they still need offensive help. Judge is sitting out there. Um, ownership is given an indication that they're willing to spend and spend big. So that's that's at least where my Rangers prediction came from. It's not based on concrete info. It's just based on, like, connecting those dots. Cody, I got to think that uh, adding Aaron Judge to the American League, is that a mind blower for you? I still don't think they challenge the Astros, but I think that's a that yeah blows my mind. That, if him you, and Bruce Bochy. If you tweeted that out, I'd just be like, "Oh my god!" So <laughs> I, I, I'm glad I asked that because that would be mind blowing. But yeah, I mean that that is something you know because we were there in 2019 at the win- winter meetings in San Diego, and we were right next to the Yes Network. They brought out a whole TV stage. They had all these different TV personalities there, and. People need to know that at these meetings, when an Albert Pujols signs or a Garrett Cole signs, everybody freaks out. That's going to happen, and when it happens. But you do think Judge in the end stays in New York? I think that it is um, – I mean, I, I think that's the most likely outcome, but I also am not – it's not a lock that he ends up going back to New York. Let's just say that. Fascinating. Like Once again, we've never seen a guy hit free agency that hit 62 home runs. You know, Carlos Carrera is so interesting to me because here we're, we're, we're all now praising the Astros again, even though James Click is now gone, but they're, we're praising how they do business, right? They're smart. They spend money, but they don't spend crazy money. They got a lot of homegrown guys. They take care of them. They do business probably the best way you can do business now. All the technology, it's everywhere up and down their minor league system. And if we're going to praise these guys for being so smart, they got rid of Carlos Correa. They could have paid him. They told him to go away. They had somebody else. So I'm wondering, and here we'll see what the Minnesota Twins, because now they've had him in-house. 
They know what he's like. We'll see if they go after him big time. I just, you know, young superstar, hasn't always been so durable. Um, He's very brash. I like his game. I like that he stood up in the wake of the controversy of the cheating scandal, showed he's got some cojones. But why don't teams love this guy as much as you think they would? I do think they love him um, just because like he's a world-class player and Carlos, like Carlos Correa is just not um, actually, and I'm sorry, we might have, do we have breaking news? Are we breaking news right here? Live? Uh, maybe Aaron judge is signed with the Texas Rangers. No, no, it's not, <laughs> not going. Uh, yeah. Not going, not going to the Rangers, at least to my knowledge, but um I will say a guy like Carlos Correa, um, teams love him. Obviously, he's tied to that cheating scandal, and that, um, and and that may impact his market. Like a team like the Dodgers certainly is going or is not going to be involved, at least in my opinion, because of that and like the impact that it had on LA. Um, but from every indication that I've gotten, the Twins liked Correa, uh, and he liked the Twins, and I think there's mutual interest there for sure. Um, so I, I mean, I don't think a reunion there is the most likely outcome. Um, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out, but, um, I think what really could end up, I think what's going to end up putting him at number two in these shortstop rankings is that injury history of his, um, cause he's had a good amount of injuries throughout his career and Trey Turner for the most part has been pretty durable. And a lot of these teams think that Turner's going to age better than Correa. Um, so I, that's, that's where I get that one from, but I, teams do love Correa. Heim Bloom, I got to think, is on a short leash right now. Like, Boston is all about winning games. Uh, they're about being a big market, big money team. They haven't exactly uh, been that lately. They're still a big market team. They just haven't been acting like it. And after losing Mookie Betts, and Mookie Betts goes on to do what he has done and to win a World Series, can, can Boston afford just the PR hit? Xander Bogarts leaving again? Can Heim Bloom afford that? I don't think so. Like that, that uh, Mookie Betts one, that was a tough, tough, tough pill for them to swallow. Um, both from like losing a player like that because he's a, a world-class player and the PR hit and Bloom has ever since been called cheap and basically everything under the sun by Red Sox fans. And I think that was a big wake up call for that organization. Um, and they made a, a concerted effort this off season to make it clear that, Bogarts is their plan one, two, three, four, and five. Like they want to retain Xander Bogarts. From my understanding, there has been little progress in those talks so far, but we got a lot of offseason to come. Um, basically, the GM meetings were a lot of these teams kicking the tires and like getting these wheels in motion for a lot of their moves for the offseason. Um, so I would fully expect there to be movement in the coming weeks, but um, I, I do not think the Red Sox can afford to lose Bogarts because that losing him only a couple of years after losing Mookie Betts, that's tough. That's really tough. How big of players are the Dodgers going to be, and what do they do with Bellinger? That is a wonderful question. By the way, I can tell you, false alarm, uh, we're not breaking any news right now. Uh, I figured I'd just give you an update on that one, but it was a, it was a very interesting text. I like Cody Bellinger coming to the A's. We're the king at rehabbing people's images and careers. 
You know, from the movie Moneyball, sounds like an Oakland A already. Cody Bellinger <laughs> sounds like an Oakland A already. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I like the fit. I like the fit in San right? Francisco a little bit more for Bellinger. All right, all right. Uh, my my apologies. My apologies, not to be the bearer of bad news over here. Um, but I, I think the Dodgers face a really difficult challenge and decision with what they're going to do with Cody Bellinger here. Um, and if it was me running the show, um, it would be it would be tough. But I think I would move on from a guy like Cody Bellinger, and he's surely going to have a market. There's going to be a team that offers him a one year deal, um, trying to get him back. Um, to the to the way that he was before all of his injuries. And I think Farhan Zaidi in San Francisco knows him better than any other executive in baseball. And uh, I think that's a really good fit for the Giants and for Bellinger if that were to come. But I fully expect the Dodgers to be active this offseason. They've got to be mindful of the fact that they have a lot of these young players coming up and they don't want to block them this year and then long-term as well. But I do think if you look in the rotation, they have – um, they have holes to fill there. They obviously have Kershaw, at least they're close to bringing him back, uh, offer the qualifying offer to Tyler Anderson. I've wondered if they could end up doing a short-term deal for a guy like Jacob deGrom um, along the lines of what they did with Trevor Bauer, um, uh, like a three-year, four-year contract for about $40 million a year. Um, I also, I mean, obviously the judge rumors persist. Um, they're a fascinating one, but I, I fully expect the Dodgers to be pretty active, especially um, only a few months ago, the Padres ended up getting Juan Soto and Josh Hader and a lot of these guys at the deadline. Yeah, the Dodgers' payroll flexibility. I mean, once they get rid of Justin Turner, that's $16 million right there. You know, Bellinger, that's going to be losing what you're going to have to pay him. So they're going to have a lot of money there. And yet DeGrom, DeGrom seems like a good fit because most teams – if they sign DeGrom to that big money, I need X amount of starts. I need X amount of innings to get my bang for the buck. The Dodgers, though, with so much flexibility, eh, if he's not the most healthy and we get 21 to 25 starts, we know we're not going to get 200 innings, but we got enough guys to cover innings. We need him to show up in the postseason. Yeah, you know, when you don't need the volume, DeGrom could be a good guy for you. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I just – L.A.'s going to have a lot of money, and if they don't have a bad taste in their mouth the way they went out, Robert, I still this fries me. If I own the Dodgers, right, that, yeah. final, that final game, when you spend millions in front office, you spend million in independent contractors, you got all these Ph.D. scientists, engineer guys breaking stuff down, you got all that technology – you're losing to San Diego in the end, and the guys on the mound are all making seven hundred grand. I got a problem with that. I'm spending millions for this brilliant think tank, and in my last game against the Padres, my guys on the mound, two of them were making seven hundred and twenty thousand. The other was making like seven hundred and fifty. I got a problem with that. I need to spend some money, and I need the. I mean, that's how I would feel if I was an owner of the Dodgers. You know. I totally feel you on that one. I think that's dead on because when you spend a, when you spend that kind of money um, throughout that entire roster, and then you have some of the, I mean, obviously they're still talented guys. Don't get me wrong, but I'm a huge believer that in those key situations for the Dodgers or for any team, you live and die by your best, especially in the postseason. And if you can upgrade those positions, you can upgrade other different positions for them as well, especially with the rotation with how many holes they have there now. Um, I, I think that team would be further built to um, make a deep postseason run. But I will say this, the injury to Dustin May for the Dodgers, that was 
they were they had a pretty big role in vision for him. It may not have been as a starter because he was still not as built up late in the season as they would have hoped, just because they wanted to be really careful with that injury. But um they they did not have him available and that ended up like revealing itself as like a pretty big loss for them late in the year. Um so once once they get May back and once they end up prioritizing like adding another big name or adding complimentary pieces throughout the roster, um, I think they're gonna be in better shape. But it's it's a complicated offseason for Andrew Freeman to navigate just because as I mentioned before, they gotta balance um spending big, but they also gotta like balance all the young guys that they have in the minor leagues. Cause they, the time is now for those guys. Um, and they're, they're pretty adamant about that behind the scenes here. So we, we talked Bogarts, we talked Correa, you still got Turner and Swansby out there and they're short. You need a shortstop. There's like a tree. There's like a money tree and it's got shortstops on it. How, how yeah. do you, how do you see those two guys? What are they going to do? Boy, I'll, I'll tell you that the shortstop one is is completely fascinating to me, um, especially with the Dodgers. And you look at I, they still have interest in retaining Trey Turner, but that contract is going to be pretty pricey. Um, that I wrote earlier today that that contract, when it's all said and done, could be about eight or nine years for about thirty five million a year. Um, and do the Dodgers do that, or do they go with a lower cost option? of say like a, a Dansby Swanson type or a Xander Bogarts. Um, and that would also afford them flexibility to up, like spend more money throughout other parts of the roster. Um, the Trey Turner market, I can tell you is massive and the Dodgers, they have extreme competition there. They got, I'm sure the giants are going to be involved to some degree because they're, they're going to spend big this off season. You got, um, I, I've wondered about the Atlanta Braves being a sleeper just because I think, there's, there's been rumblings that the Braves really like Trey Turner, but that being said, what team does not like Trey Turner? Um, the Phillies have been mentioned. The Mets have been mentioned. Padres can never rule them out, especially with a player that AJ probably loves. Um, there's going to be plenty of competition there, and I wonder if it could end up pricing the Dodgers out of the, the Turner market. But that being said, the, the Dodgers have a lot of money to spend. Can't rule anything out there. You mentioned the Padres. They've yep. got the they got the two three hundred million dollar contracts, Tatis and Machado. You've got I don't even know what Soto's going to get. I have my opinions on Soto. Maybe I don't think he's the greatest thing that I've ever seen. I think a lot of people in San Diego were frustrated with his lack of swinging the bat. Um, what could happen with San Diego this off season? Could they maybe find a taker for Tatis Jr. and get rid of the contract? Could they move? I mean. San Diego doesn't have unlimited cash. This is not this is not a cash cow cable deal town. I mean, there's no. all there, you know, right? I mean, they're like market twenty four when it comes to television. Their TV deal with Fox isn't that big. So, like, could you see some movement with San Diego? One of the big three being moved. I would be stunned. Um, I, I can't see. Um, I can't see Tatis being moved. Everything that I've heard is that Tatis. A trade involving Tatis is not in the cards for them. Uh, Tatis is going to be a Padre. Um, and that's why I think, um, along with the um, the Manny Machado and the Juan Soto eventual contract there, that's why I think they're not going to be able to spend big on a player like Trey Turner um, or any other big player like that. They may be able to add like a bigger name to the rotation. Like that certainly wouldn't surprise me at all. We're not looking at like a DeGrom or a Justin Verlander type there by any means, but like, um, maybe like a tier two starter for them. 
uh, can make a whole lot of sense. But um, with AJ Preller, you certainly can't rule anything completely out just because that guy thinks in a way that not many people do. Like how many other executives in baseball in a 24 hour span would acquire Josh Hader, Josh Bell and Juan Soto? Like Preller thinks way differently than any other executive, but I think we got to tame expectations for what they do um, this winter um, just because they went all in this past deadline and their farm system. They still got some, they still got some dudes there like Jackson Merrill is somebody that a lot of teams love. Um, but they also got to be mindful not to spend too much of the payroll here. So tame expectations, but still like a, a decent starting pitcher should, should not be ruled out for them at all. And ship uh, Hosmer off to Boston and pay $43 million of his salary. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was unbelievable. Let's end on this. I was just in Reno this past week in our guys' football trip where we just go and bet football all weekend long. But I just sat back and observed. And what I, I'm listening to our group. I'm listening to other groups. You start talking to each other on the floor, the sports book. And – so much of football now has nothing to do with who wins and who loses. It's And it's not even really the quality of the game because there's a lot of terrible games out there. Yeah. Everybody's talking about their fantasy team. And you got guys talking about their fantasy team with their sons, their, mm-hmm. their fantasy team with their buddies. The way that football – and football, and I'm trying to remind everybody, the NFL was against fantasy sports – the NFL was against office pools. Everything that's made the NFL great, they were actually originally against. But what they finally realized is this helps build our game. So you got all these people. You got teenagers who have four or five different fantasy teams. You got people gambling on the spot. You got everybody. There's a reason why people are hooked to football, and it's not about X's and O's and actually who's winning. And I'm trying to think for the Major League Baseball the NBA, how do we, we're never going to do it at that level, but how do we get into that game to we make people, and I know you're not going to have the answer, but I think we need to start thinking this way. So on a Tuesday night when the Mariners are playing the A's, people want to pay attention to why this game is going on other than you're a Mariner fan and an A's fan. Baseball has to figure out a way. NBA, I'm telling you, you had the guy who uh, Embiid went for 59 for the Sixers. That game was in the sports book. Guy goes for 59. Not one person was watching it. So it's like, how do we get people to be so engaged in our games beyond saying, I like this team and I like baseball? It's a one heck of a question. Let me tell you that. And I'll tell you, like, I think a lot of it, it may like this is the argument that I hear from a lot of different friends of mine who are who ask me like how can you work in baseball and it all stems from the fact that the season is too long um, and you look at baseball or and that's that's what they tell me you look at football 16 17 games now um, you have 20 games or 21 games overall for each team I mean if they make it to the Super Bowl um, I wonder if um, having less games would increase more fan interest um, just because um, there would be more on the line with each game. Um, but I would want to, I would want to think about that answer more so I can have my opinion rather than like me saying what a lot of my friends say. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a question that major league baseball needs to answer. Um, it needs to answer it soon. Even the NBA does. And we, we all know how popular uh, the NBA is too, but, getting baseball to be 
even closer to what the NFL is, I think is priority numero uno for Rob Manfred. Um, I mean, the game's not dying. Like the, the b- baseball to me is in a really good spot, but it could be so much better if they ended up doing um, things right. And I will say this too. One thing that really bothers me um, with baseball is the fact that they um, sometimes limit the videos that can be circulated on Twitter. Like you see something that goes viral and all of a sudden, like six hours later, like the copyright owner has demanded that this be taken down or whatever. If you allow those and let these clips go viral, teams or not teams, but like young people, even people just trying to like learn more about baseball are going to be more inclined to watch and listen to it. And then maybe that increases the betting. Maybe that increases fantasy baseball. It's all about promoting your game. And I think baseball does a really poor job of that. Well, we love having you on the show. You're absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait to win. I'm following at by Robert Murray and my phone dings and you pop up and it says Aaron Judge has signed with the Texas Rangers. I'm going to be that man's a genius. He's a genius. It's like you got a crystal ball in front of you. I'll tell you if that happens, where you all three of us, we're taking the next flight to Vegas and we're going to put like <laughs> twenty grand on whatever. Um, so just get ready for that. It's, I'm gonna, I'll call you guys immediately as soon I'm, as it happens. I'm telling the wife we're draining the kids' college fund and we're going to Vegas. Darn right. I, I, that's exactly what you got to do. No hesitation. Just send it. Let's do it. All right, buddy. Be well. We love having you on the program. We're following you, of course. Fan side, it is great. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you guys having me. Have a great day. Robert Murray, he does an outstanding job, and, yeah, he breaks all kinds of news. And if you want a guide for the offseason and print it out, just follow where everybody's going to sign and just keep up updating it, Kylie McDaniel from ESPN, a baseball insider on ESPN.com, has a great piece that will get you through the postseason, and we had him here on A's Cast Live. How much for Aaron Judge? Rankings, contract projections for the top 50 MLB free agents. Kylie McDaniel from ESPN. This is your guide to free agency. I have printed it out. It's 21 pages. You also have all the notables. Kylie, we're covered. I don't need anybody else, right? I haven't seen it in paper before, but I trust that that's what that is. <laughs> that's what this is. I got it. I knew you're coming on today. I, I I told I told Cody. I said, you know what? Everybody's gonna come out with their version. I'm thinking I'm covered all the way. in San Diego. I will be using this at the winter meetings. You'll run you'll run up to David Force and be like, hold on, there's three other names here in the outfield list that I like a little better than that guy. What, what were you thinking? Yeah, I'll just update it. It's like wherever Danzy Swanson goes, I'll like put where he the re-sign where he goes, and I'll be like, hey David, uh my source I'll, I'll go my source. My source tells me there's guys still available. What the hell's going on? Yeah. What's I mean, I that's what I would suggest everyone do. So you're really you're setting a good example for everyone else out there. All right. I mean, I'm already over the Aaron Judge, but um, I know that's going to play out until he signs. And it kind of reminds me of when we were at the winter meetings last because it was the last one. Uh, We were also down in San Diego when the big free agent was Garrett Cole. Our set, and I'm assuming will be very similar, our set was right next to the Yes Network. And when it was official that Garrett Cole signed with the Yankees, you would have thought that we cured cancer with all of the hoopla that was around the Yes Network and the craziness. 
But I have a feeling that's where we're heading again. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to be for. But if it's at the winter meetings, whoever is the winner of the Aaron Judge sweepstakes, boy, that is going to be the news. Well, that's actually, I don't know, I'm curious what you guys think about this, because I've been asking around, uh, I know a lot of agents and, and writers uh, on our staff at ESPN and people in front offices have been asking me, like, who's going to sign first? Like, we all we all have our thoughts that are all generally similar uh, on who's going to get what and how many years and how much money and what teams are interested and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, we might be right, we might be wrong, but everyone's got, like, similar notes on that. Um, but who's, like, first out of the gates? Who's the Seager and Simeon of this year? Who are the Rangers of this year? Uh, Steve Cohen just going to spend like a drunken sailor and sign seven guys before anybody else does anything. Like that seems to be like the big question right now, because you could argue that the Aaron judge like sweepstakes, which is obviously like sort of the big like headline here. Uh, it could be three or four teams for a couple of months throwing back numbers. And then, you know, maybe Nemo has to sign first to like take out the other outfield option and maybe even Benintendi and some of these other guys so that some teams that have three options are now down to one option and it's judge. And so he might, want to wait i think carlos correa would like to um be able to set some precedent so i think he'll probably wait um but i i'm kind of curious if you guys have any any, any feelings because i'll have my guesses and I, I put some in the you know all the paper you uh, printed out there uh if somebody's going to come off the board more quickly than some of these other guys well i'll tell you this from out where we are it's very obvious that the san francisco giants are very insecure because what has happened with the giants is they did not get a bump off that 107-win season, right? They, they've lost season ticket holders. This year was a dud after that year. You've had the Padres pass them. Dodgers still own them. And there is a whole lot of criticism in our area from the Giants fan base, which, you know, they were all riding high with those World Series. But now the fan base is like, hey, listen, you have all this money. And you haven't signed anybody. Where's our stars? Where's our Barry Bonds? Buster Posey's gone. So for me, they're putting themselves in, in really in a tough situation. They've let it leaked out that it doesn't matter how much money. We will not be outbid by Judge. Well, if Judge signs with the Yankees, Monument Park, want to live there forever next to Babe Ruth, Derek Jeter, and those guys – the Giants are on record saying they're not going to be outspent. Their, fine, their fan base is going to be like, okay, you didn't get judged. Who'd you go get? And now they're going to almost almost maybe be forced to go spend a lot of money on a player maybe they don't love. So for me, I think the San Francisco Giants are a team from what they've been leaking out that you've been – they're insecure about being called cheap. I think they got to make moves, and they got to make moves fast because they're very, very—they're an organization that is always very, very worried about the temperature of their fan base and how the fan base looks at them. Now, do you think that messaging could be? We don't want to spend three hundred million dollars on anybody, but we want the messaging out there that we're not afraid of that, even though we're not going to do it. Our ceiling on judges, let's say two eighty, some number that's not going to get it done. And what we really want to do, if you look at these sort of Anthony DiSclefani and Gaussman and Rodon and Alex Wood and Alex Cobb and all these guys they've signed, I think if they're going to spend money, they'd rather get, you know, two guys at 80 million and then like three guys at 40 million. Like it kind of makes me wonder is, are they just going to ramp up what they've been doing a notch or two, but not go up to that $300 million thing? Or do they just realize what they're doing? Because I, I mean, I've gone on San Francisco radio to talk about this. When I ranked like who has the best core for the next three years, they were in the bottom five. Like it's like Logan Webb 
and maybe Joey Bart, depending on what you feel about him, and some guys that are in A-ball is like pretty much all they got. It's all a bunch of veterans and guys whose contracts are expiring and things like that. So, it, I mean, this isn't an overnight fix job, but you can fix next year's team and probably the next couple of years of the team if you sign three or four players. Aaron Judge doesn't fix that on his own, and I don't no. think they're going to spend $600 million and just go sign the three best free agents. So I kind of wonder in what direction is that rhetoric going to lean. I would tend to think – it's let's keep it under 150 guaranteed to any one player, but let's get two or three guys at that 50 to 150 level and then go down to the, the bargain shopping we've done in the past. And then, you know, let's see how we go from there. Like, it's hard to believe that they would just do an about face th- this quickly into like having success one year and then having things not go well one year. Let's just change what we're doing. Like that, that seems drastic to me, but you could support it. I mean, it would make sense. <laughs> I think there's two different, two different factions. I think sir, there's Farhan who wants to run it one way. And then there's Larry Bear, who runs the ship. He needs a star. So I think there's I two. probably like the way Sabian ran things, which would be a Dave Dombrowski version, or let's go, yeah. let's go sign the best guy, or, you know. I think there's. They're, they're, they're do it in a similar way. I think there, there's going to be a little, you know. But what they open themselves up to, if Judge re-signs with the Yankees, they can come out and how do you fact check it and say, we offered him the most money, he just turned us down. So, I mean, you see it in multiple sports. I think there are teams that want to be perceived, whether it's true or not, uh, to finish second in a certain derby. Um, there were some people that thought that the Braves didn't want to sign Freddie Freeman, and they just wanted to make it seem like they didn't push him out the door. They wanted to be close. They didn't want to offend anybody. They didn't want the fans to get mad, but they wanted to trade for Matt Olson and let Freddie go. And, you know, that, that may or may not be the case, but I think we all know examples where, like, it immediate, five minutes after a guy signs, it's like, oh, this team was 10% below it. They were in the mix. They just couldn't quite do it. It's like, eh, you could if you wanted to. I kind of wonder if that's going to be the Giants on Judge. So, I just looking around at teams, I think L.A. L.A. ended with a really sour note. I mean, it was a really sour note. Uh, and they've got a lot of question marks. I think they, I think they would like to put a good taste in their fan base's mouth. San Diego, I don't know what kind of wiggle room they have right now. They, they've they spent a lot. My God, I was looking the other day. They're paying Hosmer, what, $43 million to play for the Boston Red Sox? Who are the Boston Red Sox anymore? We call them well, the – I was going to – we call them the, about Farhan, we, like I, I think both he and Hein Bloom want to run things a certain way, and I don't know if the powers that be in both places will let them do it that way or if they're going to put their finger on the scale in the way that, like, you know uh, – the boss used to when Catherine was in charge and he was around with the Yankees where it was like, yeah, do what you want to do, but sign Rafael Soriano to a four-year deal. And then eventually he Catherine started letting people know, I don't want to sign this guy, but like, here he is. Congratulations. <laughs> and that's when you knew like Catherine was getting some juice there to eventually be the guy making all the calls. Cause it was like, can you like sit there and tell everyone the owner made me do this while the player's sitting there? But like, you know, he kind of did that. We like to call them the Boston Rays. Cause that's how yep. they're run, right? They're not. And, and and there was a great article about Dave Dombrowski, who's still pissed. And there's a lot of people in baseball who still do not like the way that Dave was done by the Boston Red Sox. Okay, so he wins you World Series. You then usher him out. Now you bring in the wonder kid, Hein Bloom. Hein Bloom's won nothing. And here you are a few years later, kind of the same way in San Francisco. You know, Brian Sabian was here a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, he was the second longest tenured guy just behind Bean and Cashman. You ushered him out. Farhan's won nothing. So all of a sudden, you want to go with the smarter, younger guy who's going to be able to wonder boy, but you haven't won anything. I mean, how how long is this leash 
for – and I got family members who are Red Sox season ticket holders. I mean, you're paying the most money. You're paying big prices. I mean, how long do you want to be run like the Rays if you're the Boston Red Sox when you've now gotten used to winning World Series? Well, and I think the – I think the aim was to copy what his former colleague Andrew Friedman did in LA, which is take what the Rays do, have that efficiency, and then apply it to a big market with a bunch of money. And I think people kind of forget that Friedman did it, but it took a couple of years. They had to like take on a bunch of bad contracts. They had to try to, you know, sort of try in vain to be a really good team. And then like two or three years later, they figured it out. And I mean, Steve Cohen said like, oh yeah, the Dodgers are a model franchise. I think everyone's trying to copy that. And they think plucking executives from the race tree is the best way to do it, which is probably right. Not, not knowing the future. Like, yeah, why don't you go to guys that have worked with the guy that's done the thing that you're trying to copy. Um, but if, if I'm trying to implement like sort of a process oriented, we're going to win the efficiency Olympics, et cetera, et cetera. I'd rather be in Pittsburgh or Milwaukee or Oakland or some places where there's not going to be 14 beat writers yelling at you at the start of every homestand about like how you're not winning enough um, because that matters. And, and not to like pivot this to another sport, but the owners of the Red Sox also in Liverpool uh, over in the English Premier League and the exact same stuff is happening over there where they had a great run, turned the team around, won a bunch of stuff that they hadn't won in a while, again, broadly similar to the Theo Epstein Red Sox. And now all the teams owned by essentially Middle Eastern oil money are spending like drunken sailors against Steve Cohen, some of the same stuff going on. And Liverpool's trying to be very prudent and we have a budget and we got to stick to it and we have a process. And so when they lose because they have like one one or two players that are, you know, have left or have gotten older and they haven't replaced them, all the fans are like, wait, I thought we were as good as those teams. They're like, no, no, we were as good as them for a couple of years. That's about the best we can do. <laughs> and now the rumor is that, that they're looking to sell the team in Liverpool so they can buy an NFL team. Um, but that's, you know, the same kind of thinking is in charge of both teams and the fan bases are experiencing the same sort of, I don't want to say outrage, but frustration. But you also, like, unless you're in college football, you can't just win every year. Uh, like, these pro sports are set up to have some parity built in. And so if you want to do the Dombrowski thing, like, it might be really ugly two years later. And that's part of the deal. Like, the Marlins, you could argue, have done it in both the best and worst way, where they just won a World Series every five years, and then are embarrassing in the interim. And it's like, well, I guess that's – I guess you take that rather than five, you know, first-round exits in the playoffs. I'd rather have a ring. Uh, but that's, like, a, that's a meaningful conversation to have. And I think every owner feels a little bit differently about that conversation. Could the Rangers be the first sprinter out of the gate to start signing people? Yeah, that's the question is who is who is motivated enough to do it? And Texas is uh, with John Daniels being gone and Chris Young being the decision maker there. Uh, the question is, is that now on the heels of what happened last year? Is it now a slightly different look, a little more urgency? Got to put his stamp on the team with him specifically. Do they have enough sort of momentum and motivation to then do it again? The buzz I've been hearing is they're looking to make value trades, uh, kicking the tires on a lot of guys. I'm sure they got some money to spend. I don't think they're going to go nuts again. Um, I kind of assume if someone's going to do something rash or sign someone for more than we're expecting very quickly, I assume it's either going to be Brandon Nemo with the Mets, answering the question I was asking you guys earlier, or Hein Bloom with the um, with Xander Bogarts. Because I think Cohen wants to not lose a step and then stay ahead. And so you need to be proactive when you have so many guys that are free agents. I think they have like five or six core guys. And the Red Sox are just, I mean, they're not quite in the spot that the Giants are in where they like just don't have a core for the next three, four years. But like the talent base is down and they lost bets. They lost that trade. Uh, Devers extension isn't coming together. They gave money to Story, which now looks like a pretty bad idea in light of how the other negotiations have gone. Like, I think they're motivated to do that quickly in the same way that Cohen is motivated to do some things quickly. So those would be the guys that keep an eye on to maybe be in the next, you know, couple of weeks. I think we'll see like our first like 
high eight figure or nine figure signing. Those are the guys I think are most likely. Um, but all that to say, uh, I don't think anybody really knows other than maybe Scott Boris and a couple owners, like how the, how this early going is going to play out. Would you bet? Cause I, no. I, I, I no. Uh my <laughs> kids college tuition. Would you bet Aaron judge leaves New York or does he stay in New York? Which that means there's two teams there. Obviously. Would you bet? He's playing next year in New York, or would you bet he's outside of New York? I would say it's close to 50-50, Yankees versus the field. If you made me bet, I would say Yankees. And I think when you can can piece together the Giants, the Dodgers, maybe Texas, like some of these teams that have some money and some motivation, uh, I think they could all offer compelling um, packages. But I think Brian Cashman will – match anything up to 325 maybe even more than that and i think judge would rather stay in new york if all things being equal so the question is is somebody going to blow the yankees out of the water at a number that they can't justify could it be steve cohen Uncle I, I, steve. I think it's unlikely that it plays out that way i would say it's maybe a 25 percent chance that somebody just blows the yankees out of the water to a number that they can't consider doing it it, it has no bearing on us so i would just love to see it I would just love it would to be see for baseball. right to see Uncle Steve write the big check, and you know because they're all they're always going to battle each other for headlines. They're always going to be battling each other inside that market and the Northeast for business and sponsorship and everything. To watch the Mets take a Yankee great who just broke the AL record home run would just it'd be mind blowing. It'd be great for our sport. Well, and also, like, if you were to ask just, like, a very casual baseball fan that's, you know, been around my entire lifetime, like, you know, my dad or someone's dad, like, what, what do you think were the, you know, the glory years, the most exciting time to be a baseball fan? And I think they would talk about, like, the that sort of Yankees-Braves head-to-head, uh, like, Sherholtz versus the, um, uh, the old boss and, like, all that kind of stuff, where it was just sort of, you know, teams in smaller markets maybe don't love that it's the big marquee teams battling every year and all that kind of thing. But, like, having an irrational owner that just wants to spend money because yeah. of his ego and, like, just firing people left and right, like, might not be great to work there. It might be a little, like, traumatic to watch it from the outside as, like, a fan. But, like, that's exciting. And, like, if you think about, like, what's, like, you know, leading sports center or just sort of sports conversation any given day, it's typically the NFL and the NBA because the individual personalities of the star players that drive the NBA and the quarterbacks that drive the NFL – uh, those things are taking over. And Aaron Judge is probably the biggest name in baseball, especially since Jeter, A-Rod, Poppy, like that whole group who happen to all be Yankees and Red Sox. Uh, since they all retired, he's been sort of pointed at as like, well, Mike Trout doesn't love the spotlight and none of these pitchers can stay healthy. And like, he might be the next guy. And like having a giant bidding war and going to the Mets, uh, and, you know, meeting the Yankees in the World Series or, you know, something like that. Uh, I mean, that would be about the way you'd want to draw it up to get the most interest in the sport. Looking on your list, I see a lot of pitchers, and these names stand out, but you don't like their ages. So when I start looking at the DeGrom, Kershaw, what do you think about these 30-something-year-old pitchers that are free agents? And, yeah, Verlander, who's 40. Uh, yeah. You got Kodai Senga, who's coming from the MPB, who hasn't pitched in the big leagues. So while he's 30 and offers some tantalizing upside, uh, you've never seen him against big league hitters before, or only in, like, very small circumstances I, I tend to think that the Grom is going to get that Scherzer deal from last year plus a little extra and you're just going to hold your breath and hope that he pitches a little more often than he had the last couple of years but I think everyone re- recognizes that he is the best pitcher in baseball on any by any basis among starters uh and if you can get over 100 innings then you're probably getting whatever you're paying him 
uh, but you don't always get that. And um, you talking can to get over a hundred innings. <laughs> yeah. <You're> like... <laughs> but if you look at it, it's like if he's going to average forty million a year and a win is worth you know roughly ten million, you need a four win season. Like him throwing like one hundred twenty innings might be a four win season. <laughs> oh my god! So like as dumb as that sounds, like that's how good he is. And uh, that I, you know that you're looking at like Verlander coming off of a you know a, a Cy Young and a TJ. He's forty. I think he's obviously regressed some. I know some of the analyst types have told me that like his pitch metrics are not quite as good as they used to be. Obviously, he just won a World Series and a Cy Young, so he's not like falling off dramatically. But he's also forty, and he just like physically doesn't look the same as he used to. And like he might be getting forty million a year for two years, just because it's like, well, I mean, how long? You basically, when they're that good, you have to give them one more year than you want to. And I think with Degrom, you'd love to go two years at forty something and be like, all right, he'll be good. But then. You know, what if he's 37 and has thrown a total of 100 innings in the last three seasons? Like, do you really want him then? Like, then it's like, well, now it's turning into like a, you know, a Corey Kluber thing where like, once you get to a certain age, then all of a sudden the, the velo starts tailing off and you're a different kind of guy. And, if you, you know, the further down you go this list, you see some guys that were like, you know, dude dudes a couple years ago. And now they're just sort of, they're extra guys. So, yeah, I mean, there's, and then the other thing that obviously I put in that um, article is Carlos Rodon is I think the dark horse that might get the most guaranteed money out of all of these pitchers. Yeah. And his track record is basically was a huge prospect out of in college. Look, like he was going to be the number one pick by a mile. And then from his junior year in college until like two years ago, which is almost 10 years, he was just okay. And it was just sort of like below up and down injuries up and down consistency up and down. And it's basically freshman, sophomore year of college in the last two seasons have been lights out frontline, maybe ace. Um, and he's 30. So there's a case to be made that he should get that 150, 160 that we're talking about with DeGrom is like as high as he could get. You could have multiple teams deciding that Rodon, because he is the power fastball breaking ball, potential frontline guy, that's the kind of player that teams want. Whereas, again, as I mentioned in the article, like Gaussman is fastball changeup righty, which scares a lot of teams in terms of top of the rotation, year in, year out, in the playoffs, and those tight games, they want to have that breaking ball. And Rodon is that, that mold of guy. Yeah, you got him five years, $130 million. He is going to get paid at 30 years old. Okay, two more. One, before we get to the A's question, out of this list that I have of all these guys, who do you think is the best deal? Who's the best bang for the buck? Ooh, that's a good question. Let me, uh, let me scroll through here and see if I find a guy that really lights me up. You got 50 uh, choices. Yeah, I'll give you like a sort of a, a mid-tier guy. I'll go with Zach Eflin. He's number, I think, 16, right from the Phillies. He's basically never thrown 120 innings, I believe. If he has, has been much more than that. And he's basically shown you, I've seen him all the way back to like his junior in high school. Uh, he was in Florida at the same time I was. He's shown all the pieces that he could. I think he is a perfect example of the kind of guys that the Dodgers and the Giants look for, where they got everything has been lined up, maybe a little bit of optimization, maybe just hit him at the right time. Uh, maybe a little bit of a tweaking uh, of exactly when when and how he throws his pitches. I think he could be one of those like third starters that you get at a discount. Um, where some of the other pitchers in that range, it's like Ross Stripling. It's like, oh, it's going to be sinker slider. He might not even start if you make the playoffs. You know, Tyler Anderson, how long can he keep this up? Um, so I think he's the that sort of mid-tier guy that I'm interested in. And then as you go down toward the bottom, I tend to think Chad Green would be an intriguing investment he may or may not pitch next season he'll sign a two-year deal um and then you'll get all of the year after and he was one of the best uh relievers in baseball leading up to that uh i've got him at two years for about 12 million i think it was um but you might be getting one of the best relievers in baseball once he comes off of that and so i think there will be a lot of rebuilding teams 
looking to tie up some money on the budget this year. And then maybe when they're competitive next year, I think the Rangers and looking at you um, to be able to sort of shift some of that rather than just getting a free agent for this year and spending this year's money and improving this year's team. If you're going to win 72 games, it's not really accomplishing very much. If you can get a guy that'll be a dude, dude at a discount next year. Um, I think a lot of teams will be looking for that guy that won't necessarily be in the market for those one-year reliever contracts that are obviously healthy guys. All right, this is a hard question, but we we love to play this game. It's based off the movie Moneyball when Billy Bean's writing down names and throwing them up against the the wall, and and the scouts are going, who? And Billy goes, sounds like an Oakland A already. So on your list of free agents, you got to go way down. Trolling. Way down. We're going past 50, and you start looking at the bottom. Who sounds like an Oakland A already? All right, I got a name for you. Uh, I think I asked five executives about this guy, and I think I got five different answers, which tells me that variance, that's what you're looking for at the exactly. low dollar amount. Like, might be released, might be an all-star. That's the variance you want for Oakland. His name is Shintaro Fujinami, righty out of the NPB in Japan. Uh, throws really hard, controls just okay, but it's good above average stuff. He's been one of these big names that's been thrown hard since he was uh, young coming out of college. Hasn't quite put it all together, but again, going back to some of these like Zach Eflin kind of guys, some teams think he might be a starter and it might be two years, six million, or one of those deals like Nick Martinez and Robert Suarez did this year, where it's just like three straight player options, where as long as he doesn't shoot the moon, you just kind of keep him for four or $5 million a year and keep rolling it over again. So I think for less than $10 million, I bet you could get a couple years and try to figure out if you could harness all this. Because I kind of think his game, you look at a lot of the Japanese pitchers that come over, they tend to have very similar motion. They tend to be low 90s, good command, split finger. Like a lot of them do a lot of the same things. He's more of an American style pitcher where it's power. And I'm not quite sure where it's going yet. And so I think he might thrive in our game a little bit more where power is a more important aspect. And that also goes for Kodai Singa, the guy that might get $80 million. He's also fastball, splitter, command, eh, breaking ball, eh. Like there's a little bit of Kevin Gaussman to his game. Um, but I think Fujinami might be a guy for teams like Oakland, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, those kinds of teams that are kind of diving into the bargain bin. Uh, he's got a chance to really blow up, whereas most of these guys for, you know, one year, four million. It's just like some guy that's been okay for 10 straight years. You don't want that guy. <laughs> okay. I love it. What's his name again? Shintaro Fujinami. Sounds like an Oakland A already. I love it. I Hey, because you got to admit, you know, as we're going to go to the winter meetings there, we like to tell everybody, you know, you got everybody fishing out on this pond, and then you got this other pond where we fish, and we're really good at fishing in that pond. That pond wasn't yeah. available last year with the lockout. That's what really hurt us is, like, all of a sudden, lockouts, uh, well, we got to trade these guys because they want to cut the ballpark and all that kind of stuff. But normally, that pond where we're, we're really good at finding players, like, no one knew who the hell Mark Canna was years ago. Now everybody yeah. knows Mark Canna, right? That pond wasn't available last year. It was closed. That pond's back open this year. Yeah, and there's a bunch of buy-low guys in that general area. Like, Mike Clevenger looked like he was going to get a ton of money. In the last two seasons, obviously had a TJ, just didn't throw strikes. Velo was down. It's just sort of like, ah, it's not really going the right direction, but, like, I'd take a shot on that guy. If I got some money to spend, he's got some upside. Miguel Sano, another guy. Jace Peterson. Guys that either just did it last year, but nobody believes them, or they did it, but it was, like, two or three years ago, and you get them on a one-year deal. Like, these are all the kinds of guys that I would imagine are, you know, Oakland A-type guys, so... All of those guys, you might actually recognize some of those names, but you know, oh yeah, who? Oh, I'll say it for you. <laughs> you know, you know, you know what the best part about it is? Now you're going to think about that, and you're going to be doing your research, and you're going to go, 
Sounds like an Oakland A already. Yeah, no. <laughs> I want yeah, you to know, yeah. no matter where I go, winter meetings, fantasy camp, uh, San Diego, Arizona, in our studio, you will be with us, my friend. The top 50. This will be our Turn Bible. Just in case somebody spills coffee on it. <laughs> this will be our Bible. We will ride in where people go. Everybody, dog ear, page mark. Yeah. (laughs) I'm an ESPN insider. Every, and you need to be an ESPN insider because that's where you get all your great baseball, your NFL stuff, NBA stuff. Everybody needs to go to ESPN.com and check this out. Top 50. It's the best in the business. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll talk to you soon. And remember, sounds like an Oakland A already. And for another feather in your cap, the moment you started talking, my dog walked into the room and has been laying here motionless listening to you the whole time. So you got an extra listen. We soothe even animals. And the and the dog's name is Scout. So I mean, <laughs> Great stuff. Keep up the fantastic work. Yep. Thanks for having me. Kylie McDaniel from ESPN. He's great. I'd like to thank Jeff Blum from the Astros, Robert Murray from Fansided, and Kylie McDaniel from ESPN for stopping by A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.